0: Our guest this week on Personally Speaking is Rich Lowry, the editor-in-chief of National Review Magazine. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Gilmasanti, and Rich Lowry joins me now. Rich is the editor-in-chief of National Review, the country's premier conservative publication. Rich began his career as a research assistant for Charles Krauthammer. He was selected to lead National Review in 1997 by its founder, William F. Buckley, Jr. Rich writes a syndicated column for King Features and a weekly column for Politico. His most recent book, The Case for Nationalism, How It Made Us Powerful, United and Free, makes the case for the enduring importance of nationalism. Rich is also a political analyst and a frequent guest on Fox News Sunday and Meet the Press. He's here with us today to talk about his life, his career, and the values that matter the most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Editor-in-Chief of National Review, Rich Lowry. We're here with Rich Lowry, who is the Editor-in-Chief of National Review, Rich 1975 was my first interchange with Bill Buckley. I'd always been a fan and a reader of National Review. This legacy that you've taken on, this richness of National Review, what is the charism of National Review? What's the purpose? Why do you think it was created? And what does it mean today?
1: Well, we don't have to guess why it was created. It's extensively on the record, including in credos. Uh, credo that was published with the first issue that you, you read it today and you have to change a few things, you know, communist China for the Soviet Union, et cetera. But basically, it's all it all still holds up, which goes to say this political and cultural fight that we're in is is not new. It's very longstanding. Uh, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of ground in the culture. So there's a new level of insanity. But none of it's uh, new in kind. And in our role, is to hold up the banner for a conservative answer uh, to this uh, challenge and uh, mm. to defend certain truths that we think are very important to the the nature uh, and in the, the endurance of America. And we hold up this banner in fair weather and foul.
0: Uh, Johnny Bolando is a friend. He was chief financial officer of Condé Nast. We were talking recently, and he said that uh, this is a very very hard time for anyone in publishing, but particularly magazines. Um, is that is that true for National Review? And what are you doing to see that this wonderful beacon is not lost to us?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, it is is a is a hard time for
0: um,
1: most print publications, and we've felt that too. There's been secular downward pressure on our print circulation, and obviously, the answer, which is e- easier said than done, but uh, knock on wood, we've had some success at it, is to transfer print subscribers in- into digital. Uh, subscribers and uh get get people to pay for your your online content uh we're not an 800 pound gorilla in this regard you know like the new york times or the wall street journal but we, we've we've had some success uh as print circulation has slowly trended downward we've been building up the the digital subscription so hopefully we'll have a magazine print magazine forever but yeah. um you know, it's it's uh, something that uh, those of us who are a little older tend to uh, t- to value and appreciate more than, than the younger folks.
0: Right. I love the magazine, and I, I read it, but uh, you're right. Uh, people want immediacy, and that's why your online presence is wonderful, because you're talking about what happened yesterday or today, which is terrific. Rich Lowry, while he's editor-in-chief of National Review, didn't pop out of nowhere. I'm always intrigued, Rich, by family of origin, so a social worker mom and a, a dad who's a professor— when you look back on the way they raised you what would you say they did right
1: well assuming assuming they did things right <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate the assumption well they, i mean they're very loving and involved uh, parents first of all which is increasingly rare so that's a great mm-hmm. blessing it's something you know um gratitude is a very important value f- uh, for conservatives for human beings and uh, especially with the uh, things we have. No, no responsibility over nothing, nothing we did, uh, deserved it. Obviously, uh, the, the redemption of our, our, uh, savior foremost on the list. But, you know, I, there's, there's nothing I did to be born to, uh, uh, excellent parents in the United States of America, you know, nothing. Um, so, so, uh, I, I tried to be grateful for that every day. Um, but my, my father was a big reader. Um, he, he read, uh, every spare moment he could, he was an English professor. He would, uh, he, he was on a little bit of a, a different eating schedule than the rest of us. Most of the time. So he'd eat dinner a- alone a little earlier than everyone else and have a book stand, you know, reading a biography of F Scott Fitzgerald or Ernest Hemingway or, or whatever. So just, just being a- around that, um, uh, gave, gave me a life, life, uh, long love of reading. And then he was very, um, patient man. And this is, I think really important for, for males and for boys, just having that example, you know, he would say at times be patient, but he would show more. Right. And we would um, he was a fine scale modeler. He was obsessed with world war II and he made dozens and dozens of uh, models that were really pieces of art of uh, aircraft carriers, um, planes, tanks, whatever. And when I was younger, he would do these with me. And, you know, this is, uh, you got to follow the directions you gotta wait for the the glue to dry. You gotta, you know, t- t- if you do something wrong, you do it again just to make sure it's it's perfect. So just seeing seeing experiencing that was very important. And then, um, you know, maybe to a fault, but a, a very um, uh, emotionally contained man. He, he never, literally. I I mean this literally. I I never heard him raise his voice. You know, his equivalent wow. of raising raising his voice like. Ch-. You know, like that, and that would have an effect. My brother's autistic, so he, he's particularly reacts to emotions, um, in a particularly sensitive ways. So that could set him off. That could that felt to him like yelling. You know,
0: yeah,
1: um, yeah. So, so that so we're we're a very northern European uh, family, and <laughs> in, in that regard, and their you no know, family is perfect, and their downsides to to uh, every strength. You know, has his its, its weakness on the other end. But all that was. Uh, was, was formative to me. So they just, the ability to, in my line of work, at least initially getting into being able to sit still now being able to sit down, focus on something, read something, understand it um, and and have the the discipline and patience to do that. All that is uh, uh, direct directly from my, for my parents, especially my father.
0: Rich, I often wonder when you have a, a child, a brother in this case, who is uh, facing particular or unique challenges while so often understandably parents want to, Uh, be there for that child um what's the impact on the child who was not carrying autism namely you uh were you did you become more sensitive to people who have challenges like that or uh, hugely
1: yeah yeah so uh this is another you know instance of gratitude i there's no reason i'm the normal brother right um so yeah, my mom, this is I talked a lot about my dad, but she was a, a wonderful woman. And uh really th- this is why I see she was a social worker. She had no interest mm-hmm. in, in social work uh until my brother came around and the schools were just horrible, public schools, just awful. So she had a couple of very good friends, also with with kids uh with learning disabilities or special needs, as we say now, and they just hammered, hammered the school system were relentless, would never take no for an answer, and utterly devoted, uh, in this case to their to their sons. Right. Um, so she was she was very inspiring in that in that uh regard. And and I've been involved in a little, a few little little fights. Um uh one one where my brother still lives, there's a housing situation and and some actually the the, the um son of my mother's best friend who they fought together for decades mm-hmm. and I were fighting for for our brothers. So that that was very meaningful but she she was um uh just just dogged and you know mother's typical kind of un- unconditional love for both of us so I never felt in any way slighted or um dis disfavored or I wasn't getting attention there there was there was none of that.
0: But you know you obviously have overcome your father's quietness because you have a strong voice Rich. <laughs> well <laughs>
1: In public, I, I I share you know um, naturally he was very introverted so I, I share some of it not not all of it thank goodness uh, but I, you know, I have to overcome it and uh, and and you know shy people can be very public people Rush Limbaugh people are shocked mm. shy person right yeah. so he, he'd give a stem winder of a speech just hilarious <laughs> audience in the palm of his hand and then then people would go up to him and he would and be abashed you know you want to get out there <laughs> possible. you want to spend time with people not because you didn't like people but to introverts right. you know the classic definition or capsule definition extroverts gain energy being around people introverts lose it right so rush was that way different political uh side of the political spectrum Barack obama basically didn't mm. like being around people it's hugely charismatic guy and great orator for better or worse so uh i appreciate right. it, but it doesn't mean that that i don't share some of that that introversion
0: yeah Reading about you, I was uh, struck by the fact that you'd been married at St. Vincent Ferrer. Last time I was there was for the funeral of Dominic Dunn and a beautiful, beautiful church. But uh, that that moment of marriage to Vanessa, every weekend, which I try to uh, not just give a canned homily to people getting married, but uh, I ask them to write me an essay. Like of all the people in the world, there's a billion choices out there and you can make good or bad choices. But why do you think this is the one you're supposed to build a life with? What was there? What what was good about vanessa that made you say yeah this is the one um that's
1: a great great question these are questions i i've i've never or rarely been asked in in, in any uh, uh so i appreciate them huh. um just you know just clearly obviously you know the the best for me i mean there's there's really wasn't any uh uh any any doubt about it, which doesn't mean, you know, we don't have our struggles as as married mm-hmm. couple as all do. I mean, we're, we're all, we're all flawed, right. And you put two flawed people together and um, it's it's never going to be um, perfect, but um, she, she, she is a, um, a, a wonderful, devoted, warm person. And uh, the things I, I do to the extent they matter, I wouldn't, there's, it'd be very difficult for me to do them uh, without her and her support.
0: You're also, Rich Lowry's our guest, you're also in a highly politicized world, and you take some strong points of view, and, and we all know, if I give a homily that's in any way political, I'm going to get uh, half a dozen letters of people who love me and hate me. Um, when she marries a guy like you, she's marrying a bit of a lightning rod. Does that uh, matter to her?
1: I think it's an, an attraction. Um, <laughs>
0: okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. She doesn't like it. You know, I, I talked to some of my colleagues about this sometimes. You know, I, a Jewish colleague will get, you know, the, the anti-Semitic emails all the time. His yeah, wife yeah. is freaked out. And for him, it's just the cost of doing business and you, and you always get it. So there is, I think the spouse sometimes feels it more than the, the target of it. And I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge target there. Obviously, um, lightning rods, uh, much bigger and, and taller than, than, uh, uh, higher than I am. Um, but, uh, she, we, we, she, she shares my, Shares my politics.
0: Okay, now let's let's talk a little bit about another kind of politics. I think you'd expect this from a guy who's wearing a collar, but for both of you, but particularly for you, Rich, the experience of of faith growing up was what?
1: It was it was a little interesting. My um, uh, grandmother was a Christian Scientist. Ah. She um, she grew up in a Lutheran German speaking Lutheran household in wisconsin and her family they were um they came here from germany but they weren't german they were french they were H- huguenots who were chased out
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: contention uh in and france and went to, went to germany and ended up here and i hate to break it to you I'm, I'm not i'm not with you father i'm a protestant so, <laughs>
0: so we're, so we're we still going to stick with this interview come on <laughs>
1: So um, we we would go to Christian Science services, um, which are are unusual, very sort of nineteenth century transcendentalism feeling, you know, just these readings from from Mary, not not dynamic, uh, the most dynamic uh, church service you've experienced. And then my mom um, took us to a, a pres- local Presbyterian church. Um, it was not. Um, was not into, you know, it, it was sort of like the church that was there. It's not as though she felt mm-hmm. an intense uh, kinship to Presbyterianism or I, I it took me a long time to even know what a, what a Presbyterian is. My father <laughs> uh, grew up Catholic was never went to church and never talked about God just ever. Uh, and then I, um, you know, went out into the world and I'm um, you know, we, we all have slightly different predicle- pred- uh, predilections here. I, I'm a word guy. I, I just want to hear it. I want to hear a reading. I wanna hear a really good sermon about it. I want to hear some music, maybe some I hate to say it, my colleagues uh don't necessarily share this, but some contemporary music, gospel music, <laughs> and that's it for me, you know, and and prayer and reading. Uh so you know, I'm a word guy. Um not a big so thing, I've either. uh yeah, you know, I went to uh, Redeemer when I lived in New York City uh-huh. for a while. Tim Keller's um uh, is a Presbyterian church, but a evangelical inflected Presbyterian church, and that that's that's uh that's where I'm naturally, but at the moment, I'm going to an Episcopalian church. And one of my um, Catholic colleagues, Michael Brennan Doherty, will joke that I, I'm more fallen than than our non believing <laughs> because I'm going to an Episcopal church.
0: <laughs> now, now you and Vanessa got married at the beautiful St. Vincent Ferrer, as I mentioned. Uh, was that just because the Dominicans were good preachers, or you like the church, or Vanessa's Catholic?
1: She's Catholic, yeah. Okay, and, that, um, that makes sense. She, she picked out the church, and we had a, a wonderful priest um who is now na- now gone gone on to to um he's no longer in in at, at that church or in, in new okay. york city gone on, gone on someplace else but it was it was it was fantastic and um and and, and magical and uh he, he uh he was such a dear guy sweet guy he, he kind of messed up a few things that he sh- should have said and <laughs> forgot because he said he was so stunned by by the way my wife looked you know coming down the, the uh, <laughs> it was very memorable
0: Isn't that great? Now, I I wanted to ask you too, even though you're not Catholic, I'm intrigued always by people uh, on our side of the political fence, and I consider myself a National Review sort of person. Your view of, you've lived now through Benedict and John Paul, um, your experience of Francis, uh, positive, not so positive. uh, Among Catholics, there are certainly conservatives who think he confuses things a bit. There are others who think he's a breath of fresh air, I'd be intrigued as a guy who certainly has known enough Catholics along the way to know what's your vision of him.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not the best to address this because I kind of, it's one of these things where I sort of outsource my views on it to, to mm-hmm. others. And I, obviously I have a lot of Catholic uh, colleagues. National review has always been a, a Catholic, Catholic inflected uh, magazine. I think that's still true. That's why a lot of people think I'm, I'm a Catholic, but that's, that's just the way national review is. right? Um, but one of one of my uh, late colleagues now joked when when he first became pope. So now I can finally really say I am more Catholic than the pope. So uh, <laughs> you know, we tend to have a, a fairly dim dim view uh, of him, but I I can't go into to detail. I,
0: I fully understand. Rich Lowry is our guest. Thanks for being with us, Rich. Rich, last time we talked. Uh, before we broke away, we had been talking about Bill Buckley. In 1975, he came to a charity event at my college, and I asked him if he wanted a bottle of water beforehand. And he said, no, Cavoie Cognac would be more desirable. <laughs> but I mentioned that because his whole talk somehow or another tied together uh, politics and, and his faith. I'm just wondering, uh, when you look back, I know he was a, a person who very much influenced me in my youth, Um what did his faith mean to him? How integral was it to his political or worldview?
1: It was absolutely central. He he was a, a man of obviously deep and abiding faith, and he believed in in certain truths about uh, our world and in human nature that were anchored in that faith. Uh, so for him, it was an an absolute rock, and really foundational to to everything he he did and thought
0: and did that influence national review in terms of uh, how Catholic was it back then and how important is his Catholicism in the continuing story of the great work done by national review
1: yeah so it was it was almost a uh, a Catholic publication yeah. um, it it was uh consumed with with various um church controversies uh the trajectory of of the church in in this country and uh generally um to the point it could be a little uh off-putting to to someone who who wasn't a, a catholic right. um and and it's it slowly became less so mm-hmm. over time a, a little more more open to um um uh, other points of view and and people um, uh, of other of other faiths, but it's still to this day. I'm, I'm myself. I'm not a Catholic, but definitely has a Catholic coloration. We mm-hmm. we pay more attention to Catholic fairs than other conservative publications. And uh, you know, a number of our high profile profile writers and editors are um, known as as Catholic writers and thinkers. Whether it's Ramesh Panuru or my dear friend Catherine Lopez.
0: Mm-hmm. I mentioned to our listeners and viewers that Rich is the editor-in-chief of National Review. Rich, one of the reasons I wanted you on is because National Review has been something I have uh, read literally my whole life. But but for folks listening to a program like this who might not be familiar with National Review, what does it offer to folks who are looking for uh, uh, to be open to all points of view? What does National Review offer? Why should people pick it up and think about a subscription?
1: Well we, we pride ourselves on having some of the the smartest and best writing mm-hmm. um, anywhere certainly on the right uh, we are open to a debate uh, with mm-hmm. the other side and within conservatism it now that can be a, a little difficult these days as yeah. things become you know ever more divided and and ever more kind of toxic and, and personal even uh, within within the right. And we uh, try to kind of uphold the Buckley tradition of mm. meeting the best arguments of the other side. We mm-hmm. may strenuously disagree, but in the of course of stating our disagreement, it's, it's not just going to be, um, uh, you know, p- pounding the table, but trying to take on the best arguments and best facts from the the other side and rebut them and arm our our folks and and our readers with with the best. Uh, arguments being you know fierce as necessary being scathing scathing and and humorous but um uh, ultimately being civil you know not just engaging in gratuitous name calling some name calling is appropriate but not (laughs) gratuitous uh, name calling and then you know holding up the banner for a a traditional conservatism doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it it uh hasn't changed over the years and shouldn't change over the years and be open to to new ideas and new priorities.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: kind of the, the basic um, National Review type conservatism hasn't changed. And uh, since 1955, when Buckley started uh, the publication, the principles are the same. And and being truthful, even when it's yeah. uh, difficult, even when it uh, hurts.
0: You know, I remember one time giving a, a homily where I said, you know, I like things to change in national politics, and I picked on some stuff about Joe Biden, but I said, I'd also like uh, President Trump to accept the reality that uh, he did not win the last election, and and let's get over this. And I remember one guy who I I like a lot in my parish saying, you don't seem to understand whether he's telling the truth or not, right or wrong, we stand with him no matter what. And and I I was not surprised by that. I know that exists out there, but I mentioned it because, Rich, you've headed up National Review at a time when you do call people like President Trump to task, and that, that risks, you know, some conservatives out there not being big fans of the magazine. But what goes into a decision of a magazine, of an institution or journalism to say, he may be our guy in terms of representing the Republican or conservative point of view, but he's not our guy if he's wrong, and we're going to hold him to that. I have to believe that there's some discussion in a, an operation like yours that says, we want to keep our people happy, but you seem to be concerned about telling the truth. What an interesting idea.
1: Yeah. So the, the phenomenon you're hitting on my first real experience of it, I think it was shortly after Trump won the nomination. I had a, a family member um, still a family member who <laughs> was more, more Trumpy than, than I was not that that's necessarily saying say much, but it was, was quite Trumpy. And uh, he, he was telling me, you gotta, you gotta defend Trump. And I was like, I'll, I'll defend him when he's right. He's like, no, you gotta defend him when he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that's, that's what we weren't, we weren't willing to do. And, you know you can you can argue that you know, we got some things wrong we we always have people o- okay. always do or we we uh um should have been more more forgiving or uh, uh or, or uh, had had more faith in him he wasn't more conservative president than i i would okay. have expected but we're just kind of in our our dna um we're we're not a profit-making institution at the end of the day the the magazine is in theory a for-profit enterprise but bill buckley said we we exist to make a point not a profit and we've always Mm. stayed true to that creed for better or worse so when really crunch time came and the hardest thing was really after the november 2020 election when when so many of our friends were really inflamed and convinced that that had been stolen and there are things that happened that shouldn't have procedural changes at the end and and all that kind of stuff but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't stolen um yeah and just just saying that it wasn't really you know i remember the first editorial where we were gonna to to pretty firmly push back against that notion you know i told our our various board members oh this is what we're gonna do and people aren't gonna like it and no one batted an eye I and mean, there wasn't even a thought wow um so you know that that uh that it, w- it was painful you know we we paid a price uh for it at least yeah. in the, the short term but there really wasn't any consideration um uh, you know we can't do this because it's bad business that's just right. not the way we that's not the way we think it's other people the way other people think but if we start thinking that way there's no mm-hmm. there's no reason for uh for us to exist it's a kind of our unique value proposition
0: yeah and i hope that you stay true to that forever i promise the last question rich lowry is our guest editor-in-chief of national review um hope uh everyone's concerned about we're so divided we can't seem to come to any middle ground uh, America has never been so completely uh, uh, severed by points of view. I just want, as a person, Rich, do you still have hope for this country of ours, that there's a way to find some kind of bridge that'll uh, help us uh, find a middle ground, if you will, or some way to work with people who are on the other side of the fence?
1: Yeah, so Bill Buckley used to say, D- despair is is a sin. Yeah. So I might not necessarily be optimistic all the time but i have hope <laughs> okay I, I have hope and it's not for uh, i i don't i don't think we need a middle ground necessarily um you know america's been very divided in, in the past it's kind of the norm in america actually to be to be uh divided so uh, that doesn't concern me uh, so much but they're they're, they're trends undermining the family mm. uh the erosion of um, faith and, and patriotism yeah. uh the the erosion of a, a work ethic the this kind of uh, tide of of woke insanity in the culture uh, all that is i think highly disturbing some yeah. of it's hard to see how you turn back or how any society in the past has, has turned back so that's a very uh uh worrisome thought um but you know there's still a great great reservoirs of of common sense and, and decency in this country. And th- that's, that's very uh, reassuring. And no, no uh, country or principality, principality lasts forever, right? So mm-hmm. uh, eventually, we will fall the way everyone has before us. But the question is, you know, is that 20 years from now? Is it 50 years from now? Is it 200 years from now? And I think with the right choices, it can be more like 200 years from now.
0: Right, right. I want to thank Rich Lowry for being our guest on Personally Speaking. I hope our listeners and viewers will listen to what he says by, by reading in National Review. And he writes elsewhere, too. As I said, he's authored a number of books. But uh, it's it's a wonderful voice. And that's why I've been a National Review fan my whole life, because it, it is committed to telling the truth in season and out of season, right or left, and even among the right, when there's division the to tell the truth as they see it. And uh, in this world where so much of journalism is, is untrue... It's, it's a wonderful thing to find uh, something like National View And and thank you, Rich, for heading it up and continuing to make it an honorable uh, way of expressing uh, truth as we see it. And uh, I'm just so grateful to you. And uh, thank you for being on our program.
1: Well, well, thank you very much. Thank you for all those kind words. God bless you and God, God bless all your listeners.
0: As we enter this program, if you'd like to reach out to me for any reason, you can get me at personally speaking podcast at gmail.com. Aside from listening to us on Sirius XM, the Catholic channel, you can also watch us on YouTube by going to Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Losanti. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.